The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, A Conversation of Hope, for Tuesday, February 7th. This is part two of the interview of Tuesday, January 17th. I'm your host, Terry Aranga, here with my returning guest, Alex Doman. Alex Doman is founder and CEO of Advanced Brain Technologies, and most folks turned in, tuned in probably know Alex from his work with the Listening Program, a program that brings lots of people hope. More recently, Alex co-authored the new book titled Healing at the Speed of Sound. Welcome, Alex. Thank you, Terry. Well, Alex, for those of our listeners who weren't with us on uh, Tuesday, January 17th, and that is in the archives, let's recap a bit. What's the difference between hearing, perception, and processing? Oh, great, great question. And just as a, you know, as a quick review, you know, hearing can be really described as our sensitivity to sound, the ability to recognize that a sound has happened and register that that sound is present. So we're recognizing the presence of a sound. So that's our hearing. And our perception is our cognitive ability to give that sound meaning. So in contrast to our hearing, which is awareness, uh, we're making a decision about what the sound means. And okay? so it's not that it just happened, but now this sound has meaning to me and we recognize it as something that's occurred that we have a relationship with. And then processing is understanding um, that information and making use of that information in, in everyday life. Okay, so if I were a layperson just listening to this, I would wonder... Does the processing part need to come before the perception part? We hear a lot about sensory integration and sensory processing. What comes first? Well, hearing, hearing, perception, then processing. So that, that's the signal chain, if you will. So we have to register it, we have to give it meaning, and then we process it for understanding. And so often people have perfect hearing, but behaviors tell us that there's a problem in that hearing system. Or it's not, you know, if we rule out that there is a hearing dysfunction, we then look at, at perceptual processing issues. Oh, I love what you just said. Behaviors tell us that there's, there's a problem. So it's not that the person has a behavior problem. They have some other underlying problem that's causing the behaviors. And behavior is a form of communication. Very good. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you are talking about hearing in general. 
as being a sensitivity and not in a bad way. You're just being sensitive to sounds, which you need to be. So please remind us what's auditory hypersensitivity and why do you think that auditory hypersensitivity is an emotional response to sound rather than an auditory response? Is that going back to those behaviors? Well, it, it, it is. So, you know, let, let's delve into some different perspectives on what auditory hypersensitivity is. It's been defined as abnormally sensitive hearing in which normally tolerable sound are perceived as excessively loud, meaning to you, Terry, it's normal. To me, it's really loud. So it's, I have a higher degree of sensitivity to that particular sound. Another is an increased sensitivity to sound per- perception. Um, but actually going back uh, as late as Leo Kanner, uh, Leo Kanner discussed children on the autism spectrum as having aversion to certain loud sounds rather than problems hearing or listening to loud sounds. And so I, I think that that's important. In the mid-20th century, Kanner recognized this as an aversion, meaning behavioral rather than a physiological sensitivity to these sounds. All right. So how does this initial auditory-based hypersensitivity become more generalized, a more general hypersensitivity to sound in the situations in which the sound occurs? You know, I, I think it's important to appreciate that we can, in fact, have a hypersensitivity to sound in which the sound causes physical pain or discomfort. And there's quite a quite a lot of research, Terry, and, and for our listeners going into what those neural mechanisms are that account for these hypersensitivities. But there are also these more generalized reactions to sound, perceptual processing reactions, in which a an experience with a sound, um, having a, a um, let, let's say the child went to a movie theater and they found that sudden sounds during the movie or even opening credits the first time the sound comes up with the first with the first preview and it's loud and it's unpredictable they didn't know it was coming and then they associate going to the movies with that event which was relatively traumatic for them so they've now generalized going to the movies as sound being loud uh, as as one example Another could be going into a classroom cafeteria, going into a mall, going to a family party because of one experience that can Mm -hmm. become very generalized behaviorally to being a place in which the brain perceives it's going to be loud and uncomfortable and isn't going to filter out that, that loud volume of noise. And does this work into the child having a fight or flight response? Does cortisol go up? Is there a stress response? Uh, well, you know, very naturally, you know, what happens anytime the brain perceives a threat, you know, our, our biological stress response is fight or flight. And for many that display the behaviors of auditory hypersensitivity, that they can actually live in a pretty steady state where they're in anticipating the event and their body is responding as if the event has occurred. Uh, there's a Dr. Stephen Porges, who's a psychologist who's researched this quite a bit, and he looks at it as something he calls a false neuroception. You are, in fact, safe, but the brain perceives that you're not. 
and that can lead to a a state of hypervigilance or hyperarousal where we're in alert mode. And when we're in alert mode, the body is in self-protection. And the behaviors that we observe in self-protection is one, avoidance behaviors. Um, This is unsafe, so therefore I am not going to do it or be in this space. So we have avoidance. Uh, One is feigning, where in response to that situation, the system actually shuts down. And that is self-protection. The sense is shut down and the individual um, will protect themselves from that environment. And the other is to fight. And the fight are a lot of these behaviors that we see. So we see uh, tantrums. We see aggressive behavior and things happen in these situations that are just simply responses to the anticipated event that's associated with that situation. And it's not just sound. That that can be light. That can be other um, sensory experience. That can be smell. So it's just not uh, isolated to the auditory system. Uh, that can happen through all of our sensory systems that we have these fight-or-flight behaviors in response to these situations. Now, when you were talking, Alex, it almost sounded as if you were describing a post-traumatic stress disorder in our kids. Um, I, absolutely. And if we, if we think about these, and, and uh, it's going to sound dramatic, but... What's trauma to me and what's trauma to you? You know, we can have low levels of trauma that accumulate over time and create a a syndrome where our response is the stress fight-or-flight response. And I do think that a lot of our our children have emotional traumas in their life that are accumulative. And, And unless we can address, you know, what's underlying and retrain their system. We're kind of we're going to build upon that and actually increase the traumatic response. And when you're talking about you know emotional situations or traumatic situations, it doesn't seem to me as if you're necessarily just talking about things like um, you know uh, daddy left home or Aunt Betty died or something. You're saying that the situations in which sounds occurred can also be regarded by the child as emotional situations or traumatic situations. Am I reading that right? Well, you are, and it's you know literally uh, going back to the example of the movie theaters. You, you took a young child to the movies. The opening um, previews came on, and in these you know, loud surround sound systems, this great immersive sound experience we have in the movies, you know, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, boom, you know, the, the big effects come on to tell you you're going to be listening in digital surround sound. And what's supposed to get us excited about that event is actually somewhat traumatizing because it was unexpected. And it put that child into an immediate response of, of stress. So even though it wasn't a traumatic event as we would describe the traumatic events of our lives, that single incident can actually have a a very traumatic impact on an individual. So where they don't want to go to the movies or they're going to cover their ears when they go to the movies in anticipation of that sound coming, and they're not going to enjoy that experience. Uh, This is why uh, I am so pleased to see situations in which for sensory-sensitive individuals that they're doing special movie screenings, times in which the sound is played at a lower volume so that 
they uh, these individuals can come to learn that it is safe to go to the movies and they can enjoy that experience. So people are starting to recognize this even by doing special movie screenings for sensory sensitive individuals. But I'm just you know referring to the movies. This can be family situations, this can be a dog bark, this can be any sudden sound that was unexpected that creates an emotional memory in the brain. Absolutely. All right. Um, I have one more question before the break for you, Alex. So it seems to me as if you think auditory hypersensitivity is a learned behavior. Um, Some people, and we we touched upon this last time, and after the break we're going to go into different different, uh, therapies that, that help individuals. Do you think that this is all learned behaviors, or do you think that there's some physiological things like demyelination of neurons playing a part in this whole syndrome? Uh, I, I both. Uh, one that there there are for for sure neural mechanisms in play that do um, produce a hypersensitivity to sound, and we're looking into more of the literature today to look at what the understanding is of the mechanisms of action that lead to auditory hypersensitivity and two, that there are also circumstances in which this is a, a learned response and an emotional response to, uh, to an event that okay, becomes very good. generalized. We're going to take a break at this point here on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll be back with our guest, Alex Doman, author of Healing at the Speed of Sound. Thank you to our sponsor, OxyHealth. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling. Whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We are back with Alex Doman, founder and CEO of Advanced Brain Technologies, uh, who has co-authored the recent book titled Healing at the Speed of Sound. And Alex, why don't you remind listeners of all your websites? Uh, the website for the book is healingatthespeedofsound.com. 
And for my company, Advanced Brain Technologies, where you can learn more about the programs uh, we'll be speaking about, it is advancedbrain.com. Thank you. And before the break, we were talking about this whole syndrome where although um, there can be underlying physiological reasons, the child goes into this emotional syndrome that has to do with auditory hypersensitivity. And I was observing that it sounded like a post-traumatic stress disorder. You were talking about fight or flight. So we're going to be talking about the interventions in the segment, but I'm going to ask a question right up front. Have you actually seen, Alex, with the therapeutic modalities you've used with kids that these emotional responses have decreased? Thankfully, yes. Um, you know, I have, I have at this point, um, gosh, coming on 18 years of using treatments to address auditory hypersensitivities in, in a range of people from severely brain injured to individuals on the autism spectrum to normal individuals that have developed sound sensitivities. And with a high degree uh, of success that this emotional system can be retrained to become comfortable with sound. Um, but it, at the same moment, you know, as we're going through the training process, that sometimes sound becomes more uncomfortable for a period of time until we can really learn how to retrain and develop a new association with it. So uh, the path is not always easy, um, but it is safe and in a high percentage of, of listeners, um, very effective. But depending on the degree of their sensitivity, you know, the how deeply seated the emotional memory is and how long it's been with us, you know, the response to training is variable in terms of how long it does take to have success and if ongoing if ongoing treatment is necessary. Do you find that the kids who are most successful with this, their parents are doing something complementary at the same time. I'll give you an example. We used the example of GI pathology last week. There are a lot of kids who have the diagnostic label of autism who also have gut pathology. And so it makes, it makes toileting difficult. Bowel movements are painful. And even after the GI pathology is fixed, they still have habituated this response of whatever behaviors were associated with uncomfortable toileting. So have you noticed that um, there are any interventions that can be done concurrently from a physiological standpoint that help the child with the auditory hypersensitivity while they're doing um, auditory therapies? Well, it's, um, I, I may answer that more generally. Sure. And to consider if, if we have a sensitive individual, that anything that contributes to their general sensitivity is going to impact other sensitivities. That's a them. great answer. And so these things in which we're doing, if we're taking a holistic approach to looking at the whole individual, looking at the gestalt, what are all of the factors that are influencing their behaviors and their sensitivities, that naturally the more of those that we're that we're addressing and, and tackling the cause, um, the more receptive they're going to be to what we're doing. 
So if they've got a good um, physiological base, you know, the, the stronger the health of the individual, the more success we're going to have, the more compromised, the more sensitive their system, the more work we're going to have ahead of us. Um, but also, conversely, if we're doing a lot of things at once, that is, that can actually compound the sensitivities as well. So the, the timing has to be looked at very individually in terms of what comes first. And often, you know, there, there is a system of trial and error to see what pairs well and doesn't pair well. And, and something else that's important to appreciate is that the general environment that that individual is within, is it emotionally supportive um, from an auditory standpoint? Is the environment conducive to supporting a behavioral auditory change? Or is it actually contributing to the problems on an ongoing basis and we're fighting our environment? So these are factors that we just have to be realistic about. Uh, And knowing that exposure to certain uh, neurotoxins can affect auditory sensitivity. I am am a, a firm believer that there are neurotoxins that impact the sensitivity of the auditory system. And if they're still present, uh, in the environment or in the diet, it's going to make it harder to to uh, create change. Very good, very good. Okay, and you say you've been doing this for 18 years, and have you done a full range of different types of auditory therapies? I I, I certainly have. You know, my my family Terry has you know been involved um, and colleagues with all of the various auditory based uh, treatments, starting the work with the work at Tomatis which started in the 50s, um, in which my father was referring actually kids with autism spectrum disorders um, in the early 70s to help address their auditory hypersensitivity. So that's where, as a family, our, our work began. And through my, through my work in the early 90s, um, we, we then moved from that to the Burrard method of AIT, uh, auditory integration training, which was developed primarily to address uh, auditory hypersensitivities and sound, and then all of the various methods since then, uh, the colleagues involved with advanced brain technologies have clinically researched and been trained and applied these methods. So we've really had a full breadth of experience in finding out what works and, and what doesn't work, always striving to, to find a better way. Okay, and you use the terms desensitization training and listening methods. Are those different things? Uh, they, they certainly are. So these are the, the primary treatments for auditory um, hypersensitivity. So, you know, speaking about desensitization training first, uh, it, it's the idea that we want to desensitize the emotional uh, system so that we're no longer reactive to loud or annoying sounds. And... Um, the situation in which this training is done is actually in a in a safe environment, uh, actually introducing the sounds systematically that cause annoyance or pain, and then training that system until there is a tolerance um, for for these sounds uh, over time. So you know, it's a very systematic approach where the child's put in a comfortable, stress-free environment. They're slowly and carefully introduced to the sounds in which they're hypersensitive to. 
the sounds are presented at low levels, and then the loud loudness of these sounds are brought up to a normal level over time. And then the child, you know, the duration of exposure goes from shorter to longer periods. And then the child is brought closer to the sound until in which there uh, is a presence of a previously frightening sound and they may be annoyed by it, but no longer lose control and have a fight-or-flight response. So it really is a behavioral-based training for auditory hypersensitivity by slowly introducing the sounds which are frightening until they're no longer frightening or, or perceived as painful. And then how does that evolve or transition into something like a listening program? Well, a listening program, you know, takes a more passive, indirect approach. So rather than introducing that which is uncomfortable or painful or we have fear, we use sound in order to help the individual find pleasantness within sound. And, and how we do that at, at Advanced Brain Technologies is very different than the than the other listening methods that we've that we've spoken about because we do believe that this limbic path is in a very important one to address. So these, you know, listening methods generally involve uh, music, um, acoustic music, typically classical, in which the sounds are modified acoustically to lead the individual to less, uh, to have less negative reaction to the sound. And this is one application. There are many applications of listening methods. So what this does is it trains the system to gradually become more comfortable with sound and to find sounds pleasant rather than unpleasant. So we don't introduce anything negative or unpleasant, but rather use pleasant sounds that are acoustically modified to retrain uh, the brain. Okay, very good. And I think this is a good point at which to take a break here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. In case listeners want to look at your website while we're on break, what's that again? That would be advancedbrain.com. Okay, very good. Thank you to our sponsor, OxyHealth. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Every weekend, take some time out of your schedule for new reflections featuring Dr. Adam Rubenstein. It's a show about all things aesthetic, from skin care to plastic surgery, health and beauty. You'll learn about the aesthetic products and procedures to embrace or avoid. Each show will feature live, virtual, interactive consultations that you'll be able to follow along with and featured guests from the world of beauty and aesthetics. Listen Saturdays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, for new reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Ask Theo Live is talk radio like you've never heard before. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and her co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live Talk Radio, Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Alex Doman from Advanced Brain Technologies, who also has uh, just co-authored the new book titled Healing at the Speed of Sound. So you can look for that. Alex, can you look for that on Amazon and some other places? Yeah, you can uh, purchase the book in uh, your local bookstore, um, Barnes & Nobles, uh, barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, and the, and the e-books are available uh, as well as in the Amazon store for the Kindle, uh, for the Nook, and for the iPad, iPhone, and iTouch, so, as well as audiobooks. So it's available in all, all formats and in all places. Oh, my goodness. When I was a kid, we just had a book and an abacus. So uh, very good. So can you tell us more about the listening program specifically, uh, just you know, in as great detail as you can to make it come alive for us? Absolutely. So the the listening program is very, very central to what it is we do here at Advanced Brain Technologies. Uh, It is a listening method, a form of sound brain fitness training in which it helps the brain better understand and use sound to to improve our lives. Uh, We actually uh, do something very unique with this, and that is that we actually record our own music with our own chamber ensemble. So we take original compositions of the masters of Mozart, of Haydn. We record them in high-definition sound with incredibly talented musicians. And then we um, do these very high-quality recordings that allow us to do a multitude of things to have beautiful music that's acoustically modified to retrain how the brain responds to sound and uses sensory information on the whole. So it involves uh, the individual listening through headphones 15 to 30 minutes a day, five days a week over the course of several months. Um, Some listeners do a short-term course of 50 hours of training and some will listen on an ongoing basis as I do. Uh, just to help enhance my life and, and maintain balance. The listening experience is guided through a certified provider, generally a licensed occupational therapist, a speech-language pathologist, a psychologist, or counselor that's been certified by Advanced Brain Technologies to offer the listening program so that a family can do this program at home. So this is at-home training that could be done by the parents or by an adult individual with themselves and is commonly done as well in schools, um, outpatient, inpatient rehab facilities and, and other types of facilities, but generally home or school-based. You know, so, I've got to think, Alex, that listening to beautifully orchestrated symphonic music would enhance anybody's 
quality of life. So, and I know that these people must go through a lot of training to be able to guide others um, appropriately. So what is it exactly about this music that is so targeted to being therapeutic for individuals with an autism spectrum disorder? So while, while it helps everybody, why it in particular can help individuals on the autism spectrum is one, it helps to retrain this limbic system to become comfortable with sound. So rather than being unpleasant, sound becomes pleasant because you're presented with beautiful music that does have acoustic modifications that gradually make you more and more comfortable with sound. And once you become comfortable and we go out of that fight-or-flight stress response, we then are available to connect socially, to be able to listen better, to learn, to become comfortable in social settings. So what happens is once we calm that system and we get that person comfortable again, they then can process much more sensory information uh, with, with more comfort, not just through the auditory system, but also the portion of the auditory system that controls balance and movement, the vestibular portion. So we see improvements in fine motor skills and in gross motor skills. We see learning improvements because now the individual can attend and they can better perceive and understand the information coming to them and respond to that information. Uh, the listening is, is very pleasant, and one of the things that makes it so pleasant is a proprietary process we've developed called the ABC Modular Design. So in each 15-minute listening session, there is a very progressive nature of, of the listening to modulate arousal. So we start with low-intensity sound, beautiful music, an instrument in the left ear, an instrument in the right, played at a slow to moderate tempo, the tempo of the music progressively gets a little faster. The orchestration becomes fuller. The acoustic modifications of frequency and volume and listening to sound in space, I need to mention this is actually in surround sound. So when you're listening in headphones, the listener is in the middle of our chamber ensemble. So you're localizing all of the different instruments and picking them out in time and space. And it's incredibly you know, stimulating and relaxing at the same time, so it produces this relaxed alert response that's very engaging. Then we go through a peak training process, and then we slow things down. The music becomes a little slower in tempo, and the orchestration um, begins to become simpler. So over the course of a 15-minute session, we go from simple to complex to simple. And that allows that individual to become comfortable with the sound, not only in general, but even within that session. So it's a nice, gentle process that we go through. You I've got to think this would help your immune system, too, because if you're calmer, you're not pumping out a lot of cortisol all the time. That's exactly right. So we, we do see you know, a lot of indications that overall health is, is improving with lower, lower stress levels in response to the listening. Now, are there any individuals for whom this is is contraindicated, or are you able to work through things with everybody? We're able to work through things with most people. And one of one of the first questions parents bring up is, "My child's not going to wear headphones." And we have protocols for headphone training. And it's a very rare situation that we can't get a child ready for headphones, and we never will forcibly use headphones. Listening always 
must be a positive experience for the child, something that philosophically is very important to us because if we create stress just by starting the listening process, then that individual isn't going to be available to benefit from the training. So it's a very positive, comfortable environment that we're involved with. So uh, headphone aversion is something that we work with and our providers are trained to help families with. Uh, if we have an individual with a seizure disorder, we're going to take a, um, a slower approach with their training uh, just to uh, make sure that we're not... Uh, complicating their situation at all, but we don't have any contraindications for seizures. We just uh, guide that very carefully. And if an individual is on uh, antipsychotic medications or have comorbid diagnosis uh, that we need to be concerned about, the provider will often just consult with the uh, psychiatrist uh, or supervising physician to make sure they're aware of the program, that they're going to be listening to this music through headphones. Uh, there'll likely be some behavioral changes, so we just want a team approach so we can help understand if the behavioral changes that are happening are in, in response to the music or other treatment that they may be receiving. Well, it sounds like you've really thought this through. Um, so can people, do people have to come to Utah or can... Can they uh, uh, get this some uh, other places in the country and the world? Well, uh, thankfully, the listening program is available in 35 countries around the world. So we have a network of thousands of trained and licensed providers working internationally um, in the U.S., Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Latin America, throughout Europe, uh, Japan, Singapore, uh, the Middle East. So uh, with the exception of Antarctica, there are providers on every continent uh, serving serving families with a listening program. And if families contact us at Advanced Brain Technologies, we can help align them with the right provider. And it just might be that uh, any member of their therapeutic team working with them may already be certified to offer the listening program. All right. Let's talk about some concrete examples of an individual who is facing some challenges and then this helped them in a really tangible way. I, I wanna I wanna speak about a, a boy I know here in here in Utah named Michael, a very, very special young man who was diagnosed with ADHD and actually PDD NOS. And a lot of Michael's challenges, he was a preschooler, uh, was social connection, hypersensitivity to sound, um, his ability to tolerate stress, you know, frequent frequent meltdowns, kind of the, the typical picture that you see. So he was in a special education preschool receiving occupational and speech therapy, but not a lot because the parents were paying privately and they didn't have insurance and reimbursement. Um, Michael was part of a pilot study at Children's Primary Medical Center, our children's hospital in Salt Lake City, that was looking at using the listening program with kids like Michael. Michael went through his program with his occupational therapist, and at the end of what we call his first cycle of listening, uh, the the changes were just profound. And, and what I want to do is is accelerate to today. Um, Michael has done the program over a course of years, off and on, once he did his basic training. Michael was discharged from speech therapy services. He was discharged from occupational therapy services just within months. He wow. did not need to be in a special education classroom. He does not have an IEP. Wow. He had a simple 504 accommodation that if he needed a sensory break when he requested that he could get that. And today he is a gold medal winning speed skater. <laughs> 
that that competes on a national level. So uh, this is a young man that's gone from very withdrawn and uncomfortable and feeling unsafe in his world to actually excelling not only academically and being a very happy boy, but actually being an elite athlete today. Well, that's wonderful, and that just that just shows us all what can be accomplished when the the child is respected, when the person is respected as a whole. Nobody, yeah. you know, just discounted that he was some behavioral case or something, but really looked at what was going on with him. So kudos on that. Well, uh, kudos to the family and to the therapists that worked with him. We're just, we're always just so honored to be, you know, uh, play a small part in, in the lives of these kids and to, to see him to see him grow and develop in, in this way and just to understand that each of our kids has such an untapped potential within them and it's just putting together the right pieces of their puzzle to help give them the opportunities they need to uh, to achieve whatever it is that they're, they're meant to do in their life. Well, absolutely, and I think that's a great closing message. Alex, so I want to thank you so much for coming back and sharing this heartwarming and hopeful information. Terry, thank you so much. Really a pleasure. And to our listeners, Alex is presenting May 27th at the Autism One Generation Rescue 2012 conference in Chicagoland, www.autismone.org. And Autism One SoCal at Health Freedom Expo is just three weeks away in Long Beach, California. That website is www.healthfreedomexpo.com. Alex also has an article coming up in Autism Science Digest which is in retail stores and available by subscription at www.autismone.org. Thank you to this program sponsor, OxyHealth, and to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit AutismOne.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.